So one thing that is an exciting piece of 2019 for us as a body is that this is the year that we're making a really significant transition, right? We have been renters and a little nomadic for the past, well, forever of our life together as a church. And, and this year, we're really, God has brought us to this place where we have this opportunity to purchase this amazing property and to be here and to call this place our home. And um, if you've been around, you probably have heard a lot about that and been a part of the, the groanings and the growing pains of that process. And even if this is your first Sunday here, we're excited to share that that is part of this year and, and what we're looking ahead to this year. And so that is, um, that is really what we are spending some time in these first few weeks of the new year looking at together, is this idea of being rooted, being rooted in the gospel and our identity as a people joining God's story of transformation and renewal, but also our story of being rooted in place for the first time in our journey as a people. I mean, we've, we've been rooted more generally in Clintonville, but this is a, a really a deepening of those roots. And so we are excited about that and we are looking to grow in our understanding of what that means and in our ownership of that as a people. What does it look like for me to own that vision of being more rooted? What does that look like for you to join in ownership and, and to, to feel that that is, that is your roots too, not just um, their roots and, or you know, our roots, but, but mine. And so that's what we're gonna be looking at these next few weeks. And so um, our, our passage today is gonna be um, a opportunity to look at that. And, you know, I don't even have it up here. That's unfortunate. Thank you. I thought it was on my sheet, but it's not. So we are in Ephesians, and we are um, going to be looking at Ephesians 4. We'll start in verse 11 and read to verse 16. Ephesians 4 starting in verse 11 and going to 16. Paul says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, good morning. <clears throat> Thanks. Uh, good morning. My name is Jay O'Brien. I'm the lead pastor here at Scarlet City, and Happy New Year. Uh, with the new year, 2019, change is in the air. Um, 
And so I want to begin with a question for you. How do you approach change? Uh, For some of us, we're very skeptical of change. We don't like change. A new year, kind of, oh man, 2018, I felt like I was just finally getting used to writing that on checks, if you even write checks anymore, or writing it on your paper you turn in in school, if you're in school. Um, you know, you just finally got used to that eight at the end of 2018. Now it's a nine, and oh, I'm just forget. Some of us, we just don't like change, right? When we get used to something, it's different, and we don't like that. Others of us, we love change. We want things to change all the time. We're excited about a new year, new opportunities, new people to meet, new experiences to have. And, and by the end of 2019, we'll be ready for 2020. In fact, we, if we make resolutions that we're excited about now, we'll change to new resolutions halfway through the year. Some of us, we love change. Change, good. Uh, others of us might be a bit more realist, and it's not that we don't like change. We've accepted that change is a part of life. You know, with a realist, we like to speak in practical terms to people. Change is here. There's nothing you can do about it. But we want to be proactive and have a plan for change. Not just think about it, not just dream about it, not just wish for change, but what's the plan for change? How do you deal with change? As a church, as Jenny just mentioned, we are in a year of transition, a year of change. We are purchasing this building. And I know that there are many of us who respond to that in different ways. Some of us with the change of a building and ministry, we're a little skeptical about that. We don't want it to change. We want it to look the same. And though we would like to be open to new people, sometimes it feels like, oh, you know, we just kind of want it to stay how it's been. Others of us are really excited about change, something new. And ministry and church involvement can feel kind of stale if things aren't constantly changing all the time. So we might be really excited about it. Others of us want to know the plan. It's the plan for this change. Well, we want to take the next few weeks and speak very clearly and practically about what this is going to look like for us as a congregation. And so we're going to have, over the next three Sundays, we're going to have times here on each Sunday morning where we're going to have a shorter message, so I'm going to need to really be cracking here. And then we're going to have an interview as people who have been involved in the process as we just speak about what this is going to look like, the process of it, and what we hope will come as a result. Uh, Also, we're going to have, we'll share, there are meetings, small group meetings that you can go and voice feedback and be engaged in because we value your voice and questions and ownership in the process. And so we're starting this Rooted series, which is a part of a campaign to raise money and ownership for this new season as a church. And I want to just share two things as we kind of hop in this morning. First, if you're here and you're new, and maybe it's 2019 and you're, you're like, hey, it's a good time to start going to church or go back to church, and here you are, and maybe you're not even sure about Jesus. And here you're showing up and you're thinking, great, I, I'm, I'm at a church and they're talking about a building. You know, what's this have to do with me? Actually, I feel like this could be a great opportunity as we speak very clearly and practically about what it means for us to be a church, for you to really listen and engage in what is God bringing you into? The gospel doesn't just save us into a relationship with God, but into a relationship with a community of people. And sometimes Christians 
and churches, they have this temptation to do kind of a bait and switch. Have you ever found yourself in that kind of situation? You thought you were going to a dinner at someone's house or a party, and then all of a sudden, whoop, wait, what, what is this? They're selling oils? <laughs> I, I thought we were hanging out, and now I need to buy something. And there's this temptation. Sometimes churches, we can do this. We kind of, you know, hey, come in, follow Jesus. It'll cost you nothing. And then you, you, you learn, oh, actually, there's something that God is calling me into. Uh, or you might be here, and you might not be a part of the church, and you're exploring, you, you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, and you're just like, oh, great. You know, churches are always talking about money and buildings, and, uh, you know, what does this have to do with me? And I, and I want to say, if that's where you're at, I want you to know there's nothing we want from you. As we talk about as a congregation, us taking ownership in this campaign, if God leads you to give and contribute and be part of the church, praise God. But we don't want to put that expectation on you. This is an opportunity for you to learn about who we are. And I think that's very important. We want to be very upfront about what we're about. What's success? What do we care about? What are our passions as a congregation? We want to take the next three weeks to look at that. And then I also want to share this as we start. And I probably shouldn't say it. Now all of you are listening. You know, you're like, whoa, something's going to be said that probably shouldn't be said. I, I'm not super excited about a building. You know, we didn't plant the church thinking, you know, one day, if we make it, we'll have a building. It's not why Scarlet City started. Our vision is not a people joining God's work of having a building. We're a people joining God's story of transformation and renewal. And why I'm super excited is not the building itself, but the ways the building can catalyze the vision that God has called us to. And we want to take the next three weeks to talk about that. How being rooted in the gospel in this place will increase equipping, increase serving and blessing our community, and lastly, increase multiplying. And today, this morning, we're going to talk about increased equipping. Because change isn't just about a new year. God wants to bring healing and transformation and change, redemptive change, into all of our lives. And so I want to speak very clearly and practically about what it means to be an equipping church. In our passage that Jenny just read in Ephesians, Paul, he's writing to this local church. He says, Jesus gives leaders to, in verse 12, you can underline, circle, star, whatever you want to, to equip, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What is an equipping church? And we're, I'm going to be, I'm going to, we're going for it, right? Um, a few minutes, I want to highlight five things really practically. We'll see if it can be done. What is an equipping church? First, an equipping, an equipping church is a church that is following Jesus. It is centered on Jesus. It is rooted in Jesus and his gospel. We begin in verse 11. Paul writes, and he, who is the he? This is Jesus. And he, he gives leaders. Verse 12, for the building up of the body of Christ. It is his body, his church. And then looking at thir- verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of what? Of the Son of God, the knowledge of Jesus, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature 
of the fullness of who? Christ. And then verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Jesus is central. We learn here that Jesus gives leaders, that Jesus is the authority. He, it is his body. He is the church. He owns the church. He is the knowledge that leads to maturity and is the model of maturity and love. Jesus is central to an equipping church. As Jesus himself put it in the gospel of John, he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. For a gospel church, Jesus must be central. But there's a problem, right? And Paul outlines it in verse 14. He says, we are to grow up into Christ, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. He says, we are to grow to be mature, no longer children constantly distracted and changing. If you were to go to an elementary school and you were to show up, and maybe you have a kid who's going into kindergarten, you're like, wow, this is interesting. You walk back into that place. If you haven't walked back into a school for a number of years, it's so interesting. In some ways, it's the exact same. You, you walk in. And if you were to go into the kindergarten classroom and, and you walked in and there were just row, it was like this. It was like you walked into here and just row, like an auditorium. You would think what? You'd think, no, hold on. I'm, I'm looking for the kindergarten classroom. I'm not looking for the lecture hall where the teachers go or, or college students. Because you know, a kindergarten classroom, what does it have? It has little tables and centers where kids do craft. And they might have a carpet where they sit and do story time, but they're not going to sit in rows where they just listen to some professor-type person talk for minutes. I mean, even as adults, even right now, that might be a little hard for some of us. But if you went to a college campus and you were touring a college campus, you go to Ohio State, you're like, and here is the, um, you know, what's a, what's a major in college? There are many of them. Here's the, uh, Elena, what do you, you, you teach? You teach engineering. Elena's a professor in engineering. In your classroom, do you have little tables and, and chairs where the kids cut construction paper? I mean, you might do labs to have hands-on experience, but a college student is able, or if they're if they've grown some immaturity, they're able to sit there and process and learn some information without being quickly and easily distracted. You know, if you talk to our young boys, you know, if you want to go down to the kids' ministry and talk to some of the kids, or you want to have a conversation with our boys, you say, hey, guys, you know, what's your perspective on the, um, the Democrats taking over the House this year? You know, what do you think? What do you, what do you make of the, the government um, shutdown right now? Any hot takes? You know? Some of them might yell what their parents say about it, but they're kids, right? I mean, they're not at a place. They don't have the perspective. They don't have the experience to, to really know. Paul's saying, look, don't be children, easily distracted, always needing some new thing. No, there is a rootedness in following Jesus, a conviction, though Paul is not saying it's not that we aren't learners, you just know and then you move on. Paul himself, it was in adulthood that he came to faith. His whole view of life and God and the law and 
what it's about changed because he met the resurrected Jesus. So he's not saying it's in adulthood you can't change. What he is saying is resist the temptation to always want to follow some new doctrine. An equipping church is rooted in the gospel. Jesus is central. Also, an equipping church, there's uh, shared leadership. There's sharing of leadership and ownership. Going back to our text in verse 11, what does Jesus give? It says, he gave. What does he give? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now, there's various views on are these roles in a local church, and we don't want to get into some of that now, but what we can certainly discern is that Jesus gives a team. He gives a team. He gives a team to lead the church. He does not give one leader. He gives a group of leaders. And a church should not be led by one personality, but by a community of leaders. And here's why this is so critical. Uh, We could point to that a personality-driven church, it takes away from the glory owed Christ because it can become about a person. We could point to that. We could point to that a personality-driven church is in some ways doomed to failure because no person is perfect. Every pastor sins. But what, we, what Paul points to here, one of the reasons that you need a team is because the head is Christ. And we are, as Paul says, one of his favorite metaphors to describe the church is a body. We are the body of Christ. And if any one person in their gifting and their experience and their perspective is not playing their part, then we all miss out. We all miss out. And so what this means, what this, this is so profound. What this means is your presence, but also your perspective matters. It matters. When you are not involved in a local congregation, people miss out. We miss out. We need each other. This is not about one person. It is about a community of people taking ownership in the mission that God is calling us to. And so a question I really want you to think about is, what are your giftings and passions in life? You know, again, because we're a body, we all have different roles to play, different perspectives to bring. And all of it is important. What's your story? What's your passions? How can you lead here? An equipping church shares leadership. Also, and I really want to press us on this one here. An equipping church is empowering people to minister. It is empowering people to minister. In our text, we see Jesus gives leaders. And what do they do with the church? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The leaders do not do all the ministry for the saints. The leaders are not here to perform. The leaders do not lead, just lead people to Jesus. The leaders equip. And who do they equip? saints. Leaders equip 
the saints. Now, most churches, some churches might say, you know what, we really don't do equipping and discipleship. That's not what we do. That makes me sad. Um, I would, I, I would, I would really want to press them. You know, well, what is a church? <laughs> but most churches will say, you know, yes, we want to equip people, we want to disciple people, and yet there can be a slippery road that leads from an equipping mindset to a performing mindset. Mindset, and here's how here's how it happens. Um, it can happen here. Here's how it happens. Uh, first the ministers and church leaders are viewed as the ones hired by the congregation to, do, to minister to them. And so as congregants, you can look at me, Mike, Jacob, our staff. Like these are the people we pay their salary. And just like I am a consumer when I go to anything, these are the people that do the work for me. And then, and then ministers, here's a dirty little secret. Right, we're giving you all the under, you know, the, Ministers, a lot of times, they like this. They like this. Because we want to be needed. And we like to sometimes be important and on a platform and feeling that we have a, a unique place to do things that other people can't do. And so if we're at a, at a, a meeting and, and someone says, oh, the pastor's here. Che, will you pray? Can you pray for the food? I'll say, yeah, sure, you know. And so we ministers, sometimes we, we like to be needed in some of this way. And it can feed our ego when we're viewed as the Bible experts. And we're viewed as the ones who need to be present for anything. And what happens then is you have a divide. And you have the clergy, a nice fun term, and the lay people. And you move when that happens, when there's a too strong of a divide you move to being a, a performing church. And, this, and, and that's not good. And here's why. Um, what will happen when we're just a performing church? Ministry will be equated with church programs and everyone will become a cog in the church machine. When there's too strong of a divide, ministry gets boiled down to just doing church things. And the pastors become the experts of ministry. And our goal is to get you to do what we want. Now, I I am not saying that programs are bad. Kids ministry, important. Gathering on a Sunday morning, what we're doing right now, important. Groups ministry, vital. But why do we do all of them? Why do we do them? Why, 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 Why are we here? Our kids' ministry, our group's ministry, our gathering on Sundays, the classes that we offer, they're designed to equip you to be a minister everywhere you go. We want the kids to grow, to be a light, to be a gospel presence in their home, in their school, for the rest of their life. We want you to be a gospel presence in your home in your neighborhood, on the, on the athletic fields, wherever you go. You know, you are a better minister of the gospel to your friends and neighbors than I am. Church leadership exists to equip 
the body to minister. But also, a second thing that happens when we move from a equipping to performing culture is that we can become a spiritually obese. And let me share what I mean. I've heard it said, and maybe I, I think I've even said this before myself, and maybe you've said it to me, and so grace for us all. <laughs> um, but it's tempting sometimes to say, you know, I, I'm struggling at this church, or maybe I don't want to be there because I just feel like I'm not being fed. You know, guilty. <laughs> I've said that before. Um, and sometimes we have this mindset that being fed means I go and I learn a lot of new interesting things about God. Paul's concern when he's writing to this local church is not that they just learn a lot of good knowledge about the Son of God so that they can pass the quizzes and, you know, and just all be experts on God because they have all the answers. Are they not applying it? <laughs> Paul's concern is that they learn to grow to minister. They take what they're eating and they work it off. You know, some of us, we've been sitting at the Bible Golden Corral for a long time. And we're going up for seconds and thirds. And we're not working it off. And so, if you've been a part of Scarlet City for some time, or maybe even you're new, and you're not finding ways to use your passions to make a difference for the kingdom of God, I want to invite you to do so. And that's when we really grow. We really grow when we practice what we're learning. A sermon, I, I'm sorry, a sermon's really not going to change your life. I, I shouldn't say that. A sermons are the best thing. We should all, should all be, but come on. It's relationships and practice. An equipping church empowers people to minister. An equipping church is all about Jesus. It shares leadership. It empowers. And lastly, an equipping church is speaking truth in love. It is speaking truth in love. Paul in verse 15 says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. There must be truth spoken in love. Truth without love. This is where a lot of churches that talk a lot about equipping can land. We are about truth and learning, equipping. Ooh. And, and a lot of times, this truth-based church, have you noticed that sometimes it can be laced with this anger? Kind of, gonna be, it's going to be hard here. <laughs> truth. I know you don't want to hear it, but we're going to say it. A truth without love isn't really true. Others say, you know, man, I'm, all, I'm more about the love side of this. More about the love. And what we mean when we say this, when we say love without truth, it's not really loving. Because we're not honest with people. And, and, and I don't know about you, but for me, even though it's hard for me sometimes to hear the truth, I want to hear it, and I need it. And as we close, going back to Jesus as our model, 
following him. Jesus is truthful and loving. He's truthful and he's loving. You know, he's loving. He's always inviting people. He invites his disciples to follow him. I mean, what a privilege to be invited to follow the Son of God. And not because his disciples are so impressive. They're just normal. Normal fishermen and sinners. They, you know, everyone else in the community, they looked at Jesus' disciples and they're like, wait, no. He can't be the Son of God because look at them. They don't measure up to the kind of people that the King of Kings would invite onto his team. And Jesus, his response is like, you know, that's kind of actually the point of why I'm here. Inviting, loving, inviting people in. But Jesus doesn't just form a group to follow them around. He's challenging them too. He's calling them. He's working in their life. Lovingly, gently challenging them. Because he loves them. Because he wants what's best. And as a church, an equipping church, we need to follow Jesus in this way. To create a gracious culture, a culture where there is truth and it is graciously spoken in love. And so this requires two things. One, it requires tone. Tone, how we say what we say, so important. It's, you know, again, we don't want to be angry. Sometimes we get excited about anger. You know, you can get a, get a pastor and get angry. You know, there's something about that that we just want to be like, yeah, fight them. Who, who are we against? It can be tempting, that kind of anger. Jesus, on a few occasions, he said, woe to me, woe to you, I'm sorry, woe to you. But a lot of times, his tone, most of the time, his tone with people was very gentle. Tone matters. Also, relationship. Relationship. Speaking the truth in love requires a relationship. And as an equipping church, we want to be a place that prioritizes relationships, where we encourage to follow Jesus, where we take ownership and share leadership together, where we are empowering one another to minister, and we are speaking the truth in love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the body of Christ that you save us into a family. And as we are in this season of exploring, what, what, what does this look like for us as a congregation? I pray that that truth and love would just permeate all the conversations, everything we do. And um, I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of, of being a part of this church, this church, these people, where I can be known, my family can be known, and we can play a part in your redemptive work. Amen. Hey, everyone. 
Uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we kind of wanted the next sermon series that we're in these three weeks to be a combination of preaching, but then also some practical conversations about what it could look like for us in this building. Could you turn on the... Wow. And so I have Todd, Walter, and Keith Robinette. Uh, Todd has short, dark hair with a plaid shirt. <laughs> Keith has short, black hair with a plaid shirt. Uh, Todd and Keith have been uh, integral leaders in our church for five plus years. For five plus years, they've been leading the church in our finances. Uh, so holding us accountable, budgeting, uh, planning, praying, and guidance. Not only that, both them and their spouses are uh, city group leaders. So they've been uh, huge leaders in our church uh, for almost the entire existence of our church. I mean, yeah, the entire existence of our church. I think we were there on the first week. They're there on the first week. There we go. Uh, and so this is a new thing for us. Buying and building, we have not done this. It's very new. And we, we say that all the time. But we want to be 100% transparent with you guys. We want to uh, unturn every stone. There's no question that's inappropriate. There's no topic that we're keeping secret or not wanting to share. So we just wanted to have a five-plus conversation, five-plus minute conversation. Under 10 is what I'm doing. Depends on how many jokes I tell, to be honest. Just a short conversation about what it has looked like in the process of buying this building and having a conversation. So Todd and Keith, just knowing our financial situation, leading the church, uh, what were some of your initial impressions when we asked, what do you think about buying this building at 114 Morse Road? Well, I think my initial reaction was probably, I don't think we can afford that. Um, knowing how much real estate in Clintonville costs and the kind of this is a prime location, developers would probably want to redevelop it and those kinds of things. So I think kind of the initial off-the-cuff response was, well, that, that sounds nice, but probably not. Yeah, agreed. A lot of, I think there was a lot of excitement, but also um, we knew that there were going to be a lot of hurdles that we're going to have to jump over. So, um, and sure enough, there were. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and how long was this process for us? Do you remember when we first started talking about it? I think we started talking about it right around the time we moved in on yeah. one level, right? Kind of thinking toward the future of what, what might this be? Yeah, so about two years we've been having this conversation. And so you said we can't afford it, and that is true. We cannot afford this building. And so uh, what, kind of, what was the process for us leading to what we offered and, you, and what did we even offer? Yeah, that was definitely the hardest part, I think, on the front end for us was just trying to figure out what it was that we could actually afford uh, to offer. We knew that, I mean, this property is worth significantly more than what we uh, are buying it for. And uh, we knew that there were going to be offers that were going to be two to three times as much as we were going to be able to offer. So it was really hard because we just we didn't know exactly what uh, NCLC was going to be looking for, or whether they wanted the highest price or they wanted to continue the legacy. You know, it's almost like a spectrum there. And uh, we were able to, uh, I think, come in with a reasonable offer that uh, also enabled them to continue the legacy. I think they saw, they liked what they saw in us. And uh, so uh, at the end of the day, uh, they chose us, which was amazing, yeah. Yeah, so the building was assessed, is that the right word? Yes. Appraised, thank you, at just uh, shy of two million. And uh, we felt that it was appropriate to financially offer $500,000. Uh, and NCLC, <laughs> praise God, NCLC. It's a no-brainer, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a magic number, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> NCLC has been so generous to accept this offer. Oh, yeah. um, can you share a little bit of how we picked that number? Like, why 500,000? Why not 550? Why not 400? Yeah, that's, that's part of the budgeting process. I think uh, we had some back and forth, uh, all of us on the team, trying to figure out what that right number was. Um, and if you look at kind of what our budget is, that 500, if we were to, um, you see in, the, in the, um, the pamphlet that everybody has for the Rooted campaign, you know, the goal is to raise 150,000 for the down pay, or part of the down payment on the property. Uh, we also have an additional 100,000 that we're gonna be putting towards that as well. So the goal would be that we would actually be able to put down half the cost up front. Uh, if you amortize that using a mortgage uh, schedule and so forth, uh, and you compare that to what we're paying right now in rent for the space, it's actually in the same ballpark. Our monthly payment would be only a few hundred dollars more a month than what we're paying right now. So uh, from a budgeting standpoint, it's almost a wash. And then, you know, considering, okay, what does it cost to maintain a facility like this? You know, somebody has to come in here and clean during the week, and there's a shockingly high water bill and gas and electricity, all of that stuff that you might pay in your house or your apartment or whatever. This is actually a, a very large facility, so you might be surprised. They're, they're pretty big numbers. And so we, you know, took a look at the budget, and we said, what are we paying now? What capacity do we have to be spending a little bit more? So, you know, we've tried to run the budget with some capacity in it for opportunities as they arise, whether that's for something like like hiring Jacob or being able to purchase this building and do it in a way that's prudent. Because the last thing that we wanted to do was to spend too much on a building and be in a place where we were stuck, unable to do what we felt like God was calling the church to do because we had this building kind of hanging over us. Um, we really wanted the building to be um, a blessing to this church, uh, to the community. And an important part of that is making sure that we had the capacity, the financial capacity to do that. Yeah. yeah, we didn't want to be building rich and not be able to be generous going forward as a, as a church. Yeah. And that kind of leads into the last question is in, in the conversation. So uh, specifically with this conversation was Pastor Jay and myself, Jenny Hunt, Tom Venema, uh, and then Todd and Keith as we sat around and kind of talked and processed and prayed. Uh, and what was kind of the, defining, the deciding factor between this building being an asset to us living on mission versus being a liability and hindering us living on mission. So what was kind of the, the, the push that was like, this is going to help us live in our vision and mission? Well, I think, you know, as a team, we had to sit down and say, kind of over the long term, where, where do we want to be as a church? What are we trying to do? And a component of that was being in Columbus, being in Clintonville. We've been in Clintonville, kind of different parts of Clintonville, but Clintonville from the very beginning. And I, I think... If you look around Clintonville, there's not a lot of facilities that could um, be a place for us uh, over the long term. And we've already been in a number of them as renters, right? And so you look around and you say, okay, um, what, what does God have for us? And does he want us to be in Clintonville and to continue to minister in Clintonville? And so I think, you know, you say, hey, we could keep renting. Maybe there are a few other options. But if we want to be here in the long term, is a building a way that we can really become rooted in a place, rooted in a community and a more permanent part of a specific community in a specific place. And so, you know, the building's worth two million, we can afford five hundred thousand, there's not that many buildings. Let's let's pursue this and see what God does. Yeah, I think um I think in real estate, you know, what do they say? Location, location, location. And I think a lot of that has uh, found its way into some of our discussions as well, that the location is just amazing, right? I mean, uh, 
you've got the, the tangible piece of it, of course, the asset, like you said, almost a $2 million building. But on top of that, uh, you've got the intangibles, all the things that we're going to be talking about the next few weeks of equipping and serving and, and missionally um, multiplying. I mean, so uh, putting those things together, once it, it really was a no-brainer. I mean, it, it fits perfectly with what we want to do as a church, and it fits amazingly with the budget. So. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your service, for being a part of the process, and to and I'm pre-thanking you for being a continued part of the process. Uh, and we want this level of engagement from everyone in our church. We want there to be an open conversation, engagement, uh, and also commitment. Uh, so like Jay said, we have some meetings that we'd love for you to be a part of. Uh, if you have questions or concerns or you are excited, we really want you to be a part of those to have that conversation. But then also we want you to prayerfully consider uh, pledging to this campaign that will help us uh, afford, uh, well, we can afford it, but to pay off the mortgage, to renovate this place, to really use it in the way that we feel called to use it. So I'm going to ask Todd to kind of close out our time. Yeah, great. Thanks, Mike. Um, and I want to reiterate that. If anybody ever has any questions financially, uh, want to see the budget and all those kind of things, uh, we're happy to pass that information along. We're, we're completely open in that. Um, when Mike asked me to pray, uh, I just immediately God put it on my heart. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, and it's a prayer of David, and uh, it's in 1 Chronicles 29. And uh, give you some context, you know, David, man after God's own heart, um, he, he's preparing the people of Israel to, uh, to build the temple. Uh, he himself is not going to build the temple. Solomon will do that, but he's gathering the gifts, and he's just so overwhelmed by the gifts that he gets uh, that are being brought before the Lord. Uh, and in 1 Chronicles 29, 14, he says, but who am I, but who am I, and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Uh, in Psalms, it says that the earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world that all, and all who live in it. And we know, we recognize that, um, that our name, Scarlet City's name is gonna be on the title of this property, but God owns the deed. And um, so I wanna pray this prayer. You can close your eyes and pray it with me as I pray it out loud. David's prayer in First Chronicles 29. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name. Amen.